Thank you very much. It is an honor to be here. It is an honor to be here. You turn your Bible to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. As you're turning there, let me just tell you a little bit about myself. My name's Shane Willard. This is all I do for a living. I, I travel and speak. And um, I, I get on planes. I go to the next place I, tr- I speak. I get on a plane. I go to somewhere else and I preach the word of God. We're going to be in eight different countries this year. And um, yeah, it's exciting. I live totally by faith. I come under the authority of three different pastors in two different countries, as well as I have another one as a consultant, and, um, and then I have a board, but I don't get a salary from anywhere, and uh, I just live totally by faith, by love offerings, and uh, another, the, other, the primary way we support ourselves is through a resource table, and uh, immediately after the service, out at the back there, there's uh, a bunch of stuff set up, and um, there's stuff back there that'll change our lives, um, stuff I've worked very hard on, and it took me a long time to learn. Um, let me just tell you about a couple of them. Um, one of them is called The Blessed Life, and it's a seven-CD series on how the Hebrew people do their money, which is why they have all the money. Hmm. They have 4% of the population, but they have 40% of the world's money. They might be onto something. And they don't believe in Jesus. So it's, it's principles of God's word. They just honor those principles. And, um, and so in a seven-disc series, I, I talk about that, and if you do it, you will be blessed. Um, the other one back there that I'd like to share, I've got about 23 different series back there, is um, I, I compiled, I, I've been mentored by an, uh, an AOG pastor who has all of his rabbinical training. And um, it's taken years and years and years of once a month sitting with him for six hours at a time. But I put all of that, I, I put the principles I've learned on how to read the Bible like a Hebrew without knowing Hebrew. And, um, and I put that in a, in a six-hour seminar back there called How to Read the Bible Like a Hebrew. And uh, you would very much enjoy that. Um, this morning's message is obviously just one message for one moment at one time. There's no way we could cover everything we'd want to cover. And so if you're interested in, in the principles from this morning's message, it's back there as well. Just ask them. I'd like to give a couple things away because I never expect to receive without giving. And um, um, I got a series back there um, called Navigating Tough Transitions. It's a three-disc series about when, you, when you're between assignments from God, when you find yourself in some kind of doldrums, so to speak, and, and how to handle those things to come out to win. So I'd like to give that away to somebody who would like that. Yeah. Okay, whoever screaming person is, screaming, screaming person, make your way up here, please. <clears throat> My goodness. The, the other one is a, um, it's a five-hour school of the Torah. There we go. You're welcome. It's a five-hour school of the Torah that we did at, uh, at Clark Taylor's seminary, and um, and it's, it's all in the first five books of the Bible. It's the foundations of all the other scriptures. Every, everything in the New Testament is referencing something here. It's, it's defining it in, in how, how it means for us today. So um, I'd like to give that away. All right, standing up, lady. We've got screaming woman and standing up, lady. There we are. Now, the rest of you, I expect to see you back there. Otherwise, I'll know you just wanted something for free. I'm only kidding. All right. First John chapter, are you guys ready for the word? All right. Uh, this morning, we've got, we got an important message shared now. But tonight, let me just say something about tonight. I can say this without any sense of exaggeration. Tonight's message is the most important revelation God ever showed me ever in my Christian walk. Ever. And I can't wait to share it tonight. You will not want to. Do not listen to me. Do not miss tonight to stay home and watch CSI. 
Let me help you, okay? Let me just re- because it comes out in America before it makes it here. Okay, so I've already seen it. Let me let me just help you. Ready? Grissom gets the bad guy. He he's very clever. That Grissom, he's going to win. And so so you will t- tonight is the most important. I, I can say it with no exaggeration. And if you come tonight and you're disappointed, just tell me after the service and I'll give you your money back because it is just that important. All right, you ready for the word? First John chapter four, verse seven says this. It says, beloved, let us love one another for love is of God and everyone that loves is born of God. It says, beloved, let us love one another for love is of God and everyone that loves is born of God. Now, I've preached all over the world and I've had people all over the world say, Shane, that was fantastic. I've also had people all over the world not care for me too much. Really doesn't matter to me because people are fickle. They'll say, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna one minute and the next minute they're nailing you to a cross. That's just people. Okay, but here's what I know. I can only preach as good as you listen. So today I'm going to ask you to repeat some things. And so when we ask you to repeat some things, I want you to repeat it with some like Bay City Outreach Center Hastings gusto. Okay? So when we get to the born of God part, I want you to repeat that with me. Okay? So it says, Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God and everyone that loves is born of God. See, there's this thing, there's this huge gaping hole, I think. If the church worldwide could ever get back to the point where it has a worldwide reputation for being loving, you couldn't stop it. You couldn't stop it. Because we're made in the image of a God that's in love. And, and, and we're made in the image. We always naturally seek out the environments of those we're made in the image of. Now listen, before anybody gets too critical, we are getting better. Yeah, five, six hundred years ago, we were chopping people's heads off for disagreeing with us about statues and sanctuaries. We're getting better historically. Now we just gossip at lunch. That's what we do now. Okay? But, but if we ever get back to the point where we have a worldwide reputation for being loving, you couldn't stop us. But it says, beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God. Now, maybe on the same page in your Bible, 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, maybe just one page over, it says this, anyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. So anyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Now, we've got to understand, first of all, that Christianity is not English. It's not New Zealand. It's not Australian. It's not American. It's not Fijian. It's not any of those things. Christianity in its base has Hebraic culture in its thought. And this idea of being born of God, it's found throughout the Bible. But in the New Testament, it primarily sticks with the writings of John. There's one place in 1 Peter, it says we're born again of an incorruptible, indestructible seed of the word of God. But there, it primarily sticks with, the, with, this, I, with this writer, John. And I think it's because there was this encounter with this man named Nicodemus. See, this is Sunday. So all across the world today, there's going to be pastors standing on stages. And at the end of their service, they're going to say something like this. You need to be born again. 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 And that's a great thing to say. And we ought to say that. But in Jesus' whole life, three and a half years of ministry, how many times did he say born again? One time. One time. To one man. At one moment. At one time. He said, no, no, no. You need to be born again. Everywhere else he said, repent and believe in me. Repent, believe in me. Who do you say that I am? Repent, believe in me. But to one man. At one moment. At one time. He said, no, 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 no. You, sir, need to be born again. Why? What was so important about that man? What was going on there? And let me just share that with you. If we could become a first century Hebrew culture today, we need to understand this. There's only two types of people. There are firstborns and there are secondborns. 
There are firstborns and there are secondborns. So if we're going to identify, if we're going to be a first century Hebrew culture this morning, we need to identify who our firstborns are. So if you're here this morning and you're the firstborn child of your family, I want you to raise your hand. I'm one. All right, everybody look around. This is a church of firstborns. Okay, everybody look around. Keep your hands up. Okay, look around. All right, because we need to know who these people are. Okay, just realize these people are in trouble, man. (laughs) They're in trouble. Now, the only other type of people are second-born. So if you're not a first-born, you're a second-born. Even if you're a ninth-born, that means you're a second-born. Okay, so who are all the second-borns? Second-borns? Okay, everybody look around. Look around. Okay, these people are spoiled. They're spoiled, okay? Okay. Now, anybody not raise their hand? Any, anybody not raise their hand? Okay, these people are deaf. They're deaf. Okay. Now, okay, so... So we got firstborns and we've got secondborns. This is very important. In Hebrew culture, in ancient Hebrew culture, firstborns always get justice. Okay? So I want you to say that with me. I want you to say, firstborns get justice. Go. Firstborns get justice. Go. Firstborns get justice. One more time. Firstborns get justice. Okay? In Hebrew culture, secondborns get mercy. Okay? Go. Secondborns get mercy. Go. Secondborns get mercy. One more time. Secondborns get mercy. So firstborns get. Firstborns get. Secondborns get. Secondborns get. Firstborns get. Secondborns get. Firstborns get. Secondborns get. Ah, oh, very good. You got it. Okay. That's why. Like, <clears throat> has anybody besides me ever read the Old Testament and you saw this thing that the firstborns get called a double portion? Like, has anybody besides me ever prayed for it? Dumb. (laughs) Like, nobody wanted a double portion. Nobody did, because to get a double portion meant you had to get be a firstborn. And to be a firstborn, you had to get justice. See, the double portion was a compensation for all the responsibility that the firstborn had to do. Like, let me just give you a few of them. The firstborn had to be the judge for the whole family. He had to be the judge for the whole family. So, so these were nomadic people. Like they moved around a lot. When, when a fire moved, they moved. When a cloud moved, they moved. And, and, and somewhere along the way, Aunt Sally stole Aunt Susie's pot. And somebody, somebody had to be the judge for that. Can you imagine, would you want the responsibility of having to be the judge to settle all your family squabbles? They had to be the judge for the whole family. And because of that, they also had to be the judged. So they were responsible for the sin of their whole family. So if I'm the firstborn and my little brother kills somebody and he makes it to a city of refuge, they could still come get me. How would you like to be responsible for the sins of your siblings? See, there's a principle in Hebrew culture that says in order to be the judge, you also have to be the judged. You have to be willing to take the justice in order to be the judge. Remember, there was this rabbi named Jesus, and he said, judge not, lest you be... Yeah. It's because if you step into the place of a judge, that means you also have to take on the place of the judged, because only firstborns were allowed to judge. That's why Jesus is the only judge of the universe because he became the firstborn for all creation. So not only can he be the judge, but he's also the judged. He took the justice. Oh, the other thing, they had to be what was called the kinsman redeemer. The kinsman redeemer, that's deep. But basically what what that means is this, is that if I'm the firstborn and my brother dies, I have to marry his wife. And if they don't have a son, 
I have to produce children with her until a son comes, which means I would get to sleep with my sister-in-law. Obviously, you haven't seen my sister. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Now, that you have to marry. Now, 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 think about this. If I had eight brothers and sisters, okay? If I had 15 brothers and sisters, eight, and, and they all, by a series of unfortunate events, if they all die, then I have to marry all of their wives. Do, do you see where the double portion doesn't go to me? It goes to the mall. It goes to supporting all these people that I'm now responsible for taking care of. Nobody wanted the double portion because the double portion was a compensation for what the firstborns had to put up with. Like, 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 do you see, like, there's this one guy named Joseph, and he had this vision from God. And in his vision, these haystacks were bowing to him and these stars were bowing to him. Now, Joseph was an 11th born, which makes him a second born, which means he gets... Mercy. Okay, so he has this vision from God, and these haystacks are bowing to him, and these stars are bowing to him. So he calls a family meeting. Whose job is it to call a family meeting? Firstborn. So Joseph's out of line already, and he calls this family meeting, and he says, Hey, guys, I've had this vision from God, and in my vision, I'm standing, and you're bowing. (laughs) They wanted to kill him. Why? Because no one likes a vision where you're standing, and they're bowing. It's good leadership, actually. It's a good leadership principle. No one likes a vision where you're standing and they're bowing. So they take him out and they're going to kill him. And they beat him up and they throw him into a pit. And it says they ate and drank and made merry. And when they were done, they were going to kill him. At the end of the day, they didn't kill him. Why? Who talked him out of it? Reuben. Why? Because he's the firstborn. He'd have been responsible for the sin. See? That's, that's why the firstborn out of every womb of every animal had to be sacrificed in order to redeem all the other. That's why there was this one time in Egypt where God heard the suffering of his people and the last plague, he, he sends the death angel over. And if, they, if the death angel saw blood on the door, he passed over. But if he didn't, he went in and killed who? Firstborn, because firstborns get justice. Secondborns get, firstborns get, secondborns get, see... See, that, there's all this thing. Firstborns always get justice. Secondborns always get mercy. The Bible says something very interesting. The Bible says that when you were born, you were born in Adam. For Adam is the firstborn. So when you were born, you were born in Adam. And in Adam, you get justice. In Adam, you get Justice, because you're born in Adam and Adam is the firstborn. But the Bible says in the book of Colossians that when you get saved, you get moved from in Adam to in Christ for Christ is the second Adam. So in the first Adam, you get justice, but in the second Adam, you get mercy. Hmm. And that's what it means to be born again. Are born of God. It means that I have been moved from a position of justice to a position of mercy. Hmm. That you now have a firstborn who's responsible for your sin. Oh, you want to hear something cool? In the book of Matthew, don't turn there. In Matthew chapter 1, it's just this genealogy. And in this genealogy, there's all, it's the genealogy of Christ. All of them are secondborns. Like, Isaac, 
um, Jacob. Um, David was a seventh born. Like all these guys were, were second borns. So, so the great second born came from a long line of second borns. That just makes sense. But there was, there was five women mentioned, five women mentioned in, in Jesus' genealogy. Now, in Hebrew culture, if they mention a woman in a genealogy, they're trying to tell you something because they weren't allowed to do that. And there's five women mentioned in Jesus' genealogy. One was Mary, obviously. But the other four, you, got, you, have, um, you have Rahab, the whore. Ease up. Somebody over here is like, whore. <laughs> I heard prostitute, harlot, harlot, prostitute, whore. <laughs> There's some raving mad Pentecostal over here. Rahab the whore. She was a whore. So you have, you have, you have Rahab the whore. You've got, you've got Bathsheba. There's a woman of virtue. You, you have Ruth, the Moabitess, who laid naked at Boaz's feet to get his attention. There's a woman of virtue. And, it, and then towards the beginning there, you have, um, it says, and Judah begat Perez through Tamar. And Judah begat Perez through Tamar. Has anybody ever read this story? Has anybody besides me ever thought, I come from a dysfunctional family? Jesus' family was the most dysfunctional of all time, I think. Like, like, look, like in this story, now I'm just going to retell the story instead of reading it, but it's like an incredible story. This guy named Judah, which by the way, Jesus said, I'm the lion of the tribe of, he said, I'm the lion of the tribe of this guy, all right? Judah has three sons, and he goes and finds Tamar as the wife for his first son. Through a series of unfortunate events, his first son dies. So now the, the second born has to become the... Firstborn. So he has to be the kinsman redeemer and marry her. So he marries her. And through a series of unfortunate events, he dies. So Judah understandably goes, woman, what is the matter with you? Every son I give you dies. I'm not going to give you my third son. You're going to have to live like a widow, which was against the law. But that's, that's the way he set it up. So she's living like a widow. Well, fast forward some time. Judah is walking up the road to shear sheep, is what it says. It says he was walking up the road to shear sheep. Now, everything I'm fixing to tell you is a direct quote from the Bible. And it's just the Bible sometimes is R-rated. Okay? So he said he's walking up the road to shear sheep. And he's with his servant. And Tamar is sitting on the side of the road dressed up like a prostitute. And it says that he did not know it was Tamar. He simply thought it was a prostitute. Now, my guess is this is not Judah's first go at prostitution. Okay? So he's got his manservant with him. He, he sees the prostitute on the side of the road, and he walks over to her, and he says, Hey, can I come into you? That pickup line does not work anymore. <laughs> she says, he says, Hey, can I come into you? She says, Of course, if you pay me. He says, I don't have any money. She says, What do you have? He says, I have a goat. She says, I'll take a goat. Women's standards have changed. <laughs> now they want things like commitment and diamonds and stuff. So he says, I don't have a goat with me. Um, it's up the road. But let's do what we're going to do. And then I'll go up and get the goat and bring it back to you. I promise. Yeah. <laughs> and she says, do I look stupid to you? 
She said, I, you have a ring, you have a staff, and you have a cord, which is a whole other message. She said, give me your ring, your staff, and your cord, and that'll be collateral. We'll do what we're going to do, and I'll trust you to bring the goat back. Now, listen, can I just be, let me just be straight. Judah must have been in a bad way. Listen, there's two things, there's two emotions you cannot afford. One is anger. I, I have a master's degree in clinical psychology, and I can tell you that the average person loses 25% of their IQ when they get angry which for the average person would make you retarded. <laughs> Think about it. When is the last time you said anything you, you, you... When is the last time you solved a problem or said anything smart when you were angry? No. Men do things like put their fist in the walls that don't move. They, they get so mad they can't complete sentences, so they... Hmm. 25%. Now, if you're here and you're married and both of you get mad, you've got to realize that you've got two mentally retarded people trying to solve a problem. <laughs> it's always best to back out, calm down, and try to solve something. The, the other emotion that causes you to lose 25% of your IQ is, is sexual arousal. Okay? Because in, in anger, all the blood leaves your brain and goes to your major muscle groups to prepare for a fight. In sexual arousal, all your blood leaves your brain, and yeah, okay. So, and, and so you actually become retarded in that state as well. And think about it. How many good decisions have been made in that state? Lots of promises have been made that couldn't be kept in that state, okay? So, so we, we, we become retarded. And if you're ever angry and aroused at the same time, it's like... I don't know the answer to the question. <laughs> like there's platypuses with greater IQs than that. And so Judah must have been retarded. Because he gives his ring, which in Hebrew culture was his signature. It was his power of attorney. He gives that to her for one moment there. And, and so they do what they're going to do, which I don't think I need to explain. They, they do what they're going to do, and he goes up to get the goat, as promised, and he sends the goat back down with his servant. And, and, and guess who's not there? <laughs> the prostitute. So, so, so we've got a real problem, don't we? We've got a prostitute running around Israel with his power of attorney. Can you imagine the feeling in his gut that he would have lived with? It gets worse. She got pregnant. She gets pregnant by this encounter. And so four months later, you can't hide it anymore. And so the people come to Judah and they say, Judah, your daughter is pregnant by prostitution. What do you say we do to her? He says, burn her at the stake. So they bring her out. This is all in Genesis 37 and 38. You can go read it. I'm not making any of this up. They bring her out to burn her at the stake. And like any good feminist, Tamar goes, excuse me, before we go burning anybody, I've got a ring. And whoever's ring this is, is the dad. And it was Judah's ring. So Judah lets her off the hook because he'd have to burn himself. So he lets her off the hook. It gets worse. She's not just pregnant with one baby. She's pregnant with two twins. Now, what happens next is very weird. Now, I've never given birth. But I need, I need some of you women's help who's given birth. If you've given birth in here, raise your hand. Raise your hand if you've given birth. Okay, I need your help because this is what it says next. It says that she goes to give birth and there's twins. And it says the firstborn 
The firstborn's name was Zerah, and he was birthed with his arm first. And it says the doctor tied a red cord around his arm because you've got to know who the firstborn is because firstborns get, uh, come on, don't lose me now. Firstborns get, secondborns get. Okay, so this firstborn's arm comes out and the doctor marks his arm as the firstborn. Is this weird? Okay. And then it says the secondborn's name was Perez and his arm came out too. And it says they wrestled. Is this weird? It's all in Genesis 38. Don't blame me. God put it in the Bible. And it says that Perez won the wrestling match and pulled the firstborn's arm back in the womb. And then it says he birthed himself so that the one with the legal right to mercy took the form of the firstborn. Why would they put that in Jesus' genealogy? Because isn't that exactly what Jesus did? That Jesus was perfect. He was the second Adam. He had the legal right to mercy, but he considered himself of no reputation and did not consider equality with God something to be seized, but took on the form of Adam so that the one with the legal right to mercy took the form of justice in order to become the firstborn for all creation. Yeah. And now any of us who are in him, Hebrews chapter three says that God placed him as the son over his house. Who's the son over a house? Firstborn. God placed him as the son over his house, whose house we are as long as we continue to believe in him. In other words, if Jesus is your firstborn, that means you're the secondborn, which means he takes the justice and you get the mercy. It's awesome. It's awesome. It also answers the question of can we continue to sin and grace cover it? Well, Jesus said every sin, every sin a man commits will be forgiven him. Paul said, wherever sin abounds, grace abounds more. In other words, you can sin here and grace will be here. You can sin here and grace can be here. You can sin here and grace will be here. Where sin abounds, grace abounds more. But it also explains why in Hebrews it says, if you continue to sin after you've come into a knowledge of him, it's like you crucify him over and over and over again. Why? Because somebody still has to pay for your sin. You still do get the mercy, but somebody's taken the justice. And if you love your firstborn, you don't want to do that to him. Hmm. Because he gets the justice, you get the mercy. What's true of the firstborn is true of the whole family. What's true of Jesus is now true of you. It's actually fused to you that he actually put himself in you because you get the mercy and he gets the justice. If he's anointed, you're anointed. If he's righteous, you're righteous. That's why the Bible says that you've been recreated in righteousness and true holiness. That's why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6 that Christ has fused himself to your spirit. That's why the Bible says if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. The old is gone and the new has come. I like the next verse even better. It says, for we have been given this ministry of reconciliation that God is reconciling the world to himself through Christ by choosing not to count men's sins against them. Are you born again? Now do you understand why he said to Nicodemus? Nicodemus was a Pharisee 
and all Pharisees were firstborns. That's why he said to Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. In other words, you can't be a firstborn and make it into heaven. You can't be responsible for your own sins. Somebody has to be responsible for you. And remember how excited Nicodemus was? He's like, ooh, just tell me how to get back. back. Just tell me. Tell me, how can I get back up in my mom's womb and be born again? Now, that's an excited person. Quite overzealous. Jesus said, no, no, no. You could be born of water and of spirit. And that counts as a second birth. The message of Jesus this morning to you, church, is this. Is that you're in a position of mercy, not of justice. That the message of the gospel is this. If, you've, if you're here today and you've been saved 30 years, I hope you just have a clear revelation of what God's done for you. And if you're, if you're here today and you, and you don't yet know the Lord, I pray that you would know the Lord today because that's what he's offering you. He's offering to take you out of a position of justice and into a position of mercy. Now, he had a way to do this. And if I can have 10 more minutes, I'd like to show that to you. I'd like to show you this happened all the time in Hebrew culture, and this is what God says happened the moment you get born again. I need somebody to help me. Can you help me, sir? Do you mind helping me? Yeah, yeah, you got to, yeah, come on up. Give this man a hand. This, yeah, come on up, sir. Okay. The Bible says when you get born again that there's a covenant between you and God. Now, this is something called a berit. Can you say that with me? Okay, way more gusto. Go. Yeah, say it again. Berit. Now, this was something that happened all the time in Hebrew culture, okay? And it took two men, so we got two men. What's your name, sir? Neil. Neil, what's your last name? Clo. Clo. Neil Clo. Y'all, this is Neil Clo. I'm Shane Willard. Now, what we would do is we would declare we need to be a Hebrew town. So can you guys be a Hebrew town? So here's what we need to make a covenant. We need two men. So we got Neil Clo and me. We need a town. You guys need mind being the town? Say, I do. Good. And, and we need a priest. So we got a priest. We got a grand pumba of the town. We got a town, and we got two men. Okay. So what we would do is we would declare before you this day our intention to make a covenant. If you witness that, say I do. You got to have witnesses to make a covenant. Now, first thing we would do is we would trade coats. All right. There you go. All right. We would trade coats. All right, now, <laughs> we would trade coats. Now, in New Zealand culture, this is to keep you warm, okay? In Hebrew culture, this represents everything you are. Remember when Elijah chose Elisha? He came behind him and he threw his coat on him? Like, in Hebrew culture, to give somebody your mantle meant I give you everything I am. I give you everything I am, and you give me everything you are. So in front of witnesses, we would, we would, I would give him everything I am. Everything I am, I would put on him. And everything he is, he would put on me. So when you get born again, you give everything you are to Christ. Everything. Every, all of your unrighteousness, every place you've never measured up, every place you feel insecure, every depression, every rejection, every abandonment, you give that to Christ. And you also give to Christ all of your righteousness. All of your righteousness is as filthy rags. In heaven, there's only two lists on the audit form. Sin and filthy rags. We take ourselves way too serious. Way too serious. We give him all of our unrighteousness, but we also give him all of our righteousness. It's almost like we're three. Like, if you introduce a three-year-old to any environment, you get chaos. Like, I, I was out to eat. No, this was quite a while ago now. But there was this uh, mom who came in, and, and she was by herself, and she had four children. Now, there's something about women who have more than three children 
their, their, their left eye starts to twitch. Yeah, they, they, they talk to them. There's a, there's a crux point. They talk to themselves a lot. They're just working stuff out. If you see a perfectly sane 35-year-old woman on the bread aisle at the, at the grocery store going, you're not going to talk to me like that, and there's nobody around, don't worry about it. She's just working stuff out. They also become deaf to certain things. Moms do. Moms of all levels become deaf to certain things. So they, they, they were sitting in this booth, and this three-year-old said something like this. Mommy, look! Mommy, look! Mommy, look! Mommy, look! Mommy, look! Mommy, look! I guess mommies are deaf to that. Like, everything inside of me wanted to turn around and go, Woman, for the love of God, answer your child! Your name is mommy. The child wants to show you something. Now, how many of you know that child did something he was proud of? He was proud of. If he'd have done something bad, you couldn't find him. Yeah. We're all like that. When we, when we think we do something right, when we keep our prayer life right, when we do that, we, something inside of us thinks God's impressed. So we're like, Daddy, look! Daddy, look! Daddy, look! Daddy, look! It's almost like God's like, don't you understand? I'm not impressed with that. I'm impressed with Jesus. You don't have to create your own righteousness. I'm simply giving you mine. You don't have to create your own holiness. I'm giving you mine. You don't have to create your own anointing. I'm giving you mine. You don't have to live out of your own coat anymore. You can live out of my coat. Now, if you witness the coat exchange, say, I do. This happened all the time in Hebrew culture. This was the imagery God was using. Next thing we would do is we'd trade belts. New Zealand culture, <clears throat> the belt is a fashion statement, and it's also meant to hold up the pants. So, and it's supposed to match your shoes. Eh, okay, my my belt doesn't. Oh my goodness, I am, I'm fat. Okay. <laughs> It was supposed to have shoes. Now, in Hebrew culture, it's different. In Hebrew culture, it was all of my weapons. So I just put all of my weapons at his disposal in front of you all, and he just put all of his weapons at his disposal in front of me, in front of everybody. So what we're saying is, is that anybody who comes against him now, it's not just coming against him. It's coming against me and him. It's all he's got and all I've got. And now he's saying anybody who comes against me, it's not just all I've got. It's all he's got and all I've got. See, so, so that if you, ma'am, if you, if you right there, if you decided to come against me and you look like you would, if, if you decided to come against me, you better think twice because it's just not me. It's me and that guy right there. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, and, and if you, ma'am, if you decided to come against him and you look like you would, you better think twice because it's not just him. It's me and him now. See, see, if, 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 if you show up against me, even this is so important, even if I deserve it, 
So if, if I kill one of her family and she rouses all those people up and says, let's go get him, that it's not just he's still binded by covenant to stand with me. See, see, that's why Jesus said no weapon formed against you can prosper. It, it's, 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 it's because anytime, anytime the devil comes against you, anytime anybody comes against you, it's not just you. It's you and him. It's all you've got and all he has. See. Hmm. If you, if you witness the belt exchange, say, I do. Okay. Next thing we would do is we would stand before you and we would quote all the blessings and curses from Deuteronomy 28. Go. <laughs> yeah, right. And I, I, we would do that. And, and I would basically, we would declare that if, if we break our covenant, let all the curses come on us. And if we keep our covenant, let all the blessings come on us. So that if you come against me, ma'am, and he doesn't show up, our covenant is now null and void. And he's heaped curses on his life. A covenant wasn't a carte blanche thing that you could act any way you wanted to act. A covenant had, had stipulations, and he had to live by the belt. He had to live by the coat. See? Okay, the, the next thing we would do is, is, is oh, if you witness the uh, blessings and curses thing, say, I do. Okay. Next thing we would do is we would cut our hand right down the middle. No, no, next thing we would do is we'd kill an animal. I almost forget killing the animal part because it's strange to us. But to them, it was like, it was like talking on a cell phone. It was that common. So we would take an animal and we'd place it between us and we'd slit it. We'd cut it right down the middle from the base of its skull all the way down the middle. And one half of the animal would fall on my side and one half of the animal would fall on his side. And in the middle would be a big pool of blood. And then what we would do is we would walk in a figure eight around the blood. Eight is the number of new beginnings. It says that anything in my life before now is now gone. Anything in his life before now is now gone. It's a brand new life, me and him. Me and him. Do you see now why it says that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All the old is gone. All the new has come. It's like Jesus has walked in a figure eight around his own blood with you. And he's made everything new. Everything new. Now, the next thing we would do is we'd slit our hand right down the middle. So I would take a knife. And I would cut his hand right down the middle. And he would take a knife. He'd cut my hand right down the middle. And then we would hold hands like this over the covenant animal. We would, we would lock elbows and our blood would mix and mingle with the blood of the animal. And, oh, if you witness all that, say I do. Okay. Now, now the, the important part of that is this. Is if he cuts me down the middle of my hand and it heals, what's going to be left there? A scar. Listen to me, so important. The sign of covenant is a scar in the palm of the hand. Now, the Bible says something very interesting. The Bible says something very interesting. It says when you get saved, that he writes his name on your heart, but he writes your name on his. You know what that means? When the, when the accuser comes to Jesus about you, he says, let me at shame. No, nope, his name's written on my hand. Yeah, but do you know what he did? Yes, I do. But his name is written on my hand. I'm in covenant with him. I have to stand with him. Yeah, but he put you on the cross. Still, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Really, the sin of all mankind is we don't know what we're doing. Really. We really don't know. Has anybody besides me ever done something that if you knew what was going to happen before you did it, you wouldn't have done it? The sin of all mankind is we don't know what we're doing. Let me prove it to you. Anybody besides me ever fall in love in high school? Did you fall in love in high school? I did. Anybody got their heart broken in high school? I did. Very sad. I, I did. 
Yeah. And, and, and I loved God in high school. I remember, I, I remember you know, you, you get your heart broken in high school. I was a youth pastor, and so these, these teenagers would come to me and say, oh, Shane, I love her, or oh, Shane, I love him, and my heart's broken, and why would God do this to me? Oh, why God? Oh, why God? Oh, why God? Oh, why God? And then you go to your 20-year reunion, and you're like, thank you, God, thank you, God, thank you, God. We don't know what we're doing. But God's written our name on his hand. So when the accuser comes to Jesus about you, Jesus tells him to talk to the hand. If you witness the hand thing, say I do. The next thing we would do is we would trade surnames. So tell me your surname again. Chloe. And your first name? Nick? Neil. Neil. Neil, sorry. You would never make a covenant with somebody you didn't know their name. Sorry. But he, so he would become Neil Chloe Willard, and I would become Shane Willard Chloe. Now, what that did was, is that gave me power of attorney on his name. So now I can write checks on his bank account. He can write checks on mine. I can sell his house. He can sell mine. I can sell his children. He can sell mine. This was a major, major act of trust. A major act of trust. It was complete power of attorney. That's why Jesus said, anything you pray in my name. In other words, you have the power now to use Jesus' name, invoke his name. The stipulation is, is don't use his name in vain. In other words, don't put his name on things that he wouldn't put his name on. In other words, don't forge his name. See? So, so in covenant, we've been given his life, his coat, his belt, We've been, we've been given the sign in the palm of the hand, the new start with the figure eight. We, we've been given his name. Mm. If you witness that, say I do. Now, the last thing we would do kind of offends um, Western masculinity a bit. The Bible says, greet each other with a holy hug. <laughs> Just ask him to witness it, will you? Mm. <laughs> like men in, men in Western culture, we are very serious about our masculinity. Like we beat each other when we hug. You ever notice that? When you see two men hug, they can't just hug. They have to beat each other. Yeah, and it's always three pats. Like, what are we trying to say? I'm not gay. And there's this whole subliminal thing going on. I'm not gay. Me either. I'm glad. Woohoo! Like, there's this whole thing happening. Very odd. We men are strange creatures. Actually, what they would do is, is, is they, would, they would feed each other bread. So I would take bread from my house, and he would take bread from his house. At, at weddings here, do you guys feed each other wedding cake? It's something we do in America. It's kind of similar to that. Like we would, we would take, I would take a piece of bread from my house. He would take a piece of bread from his house, and I would actually feed it to him, which is a bit feminine too. But, um, but, but I would feed it to him, and he would feed it to me. And this was the imagery. Ready? That now my life is not just on him. My, my weapons are not just around him. My name is not just with him. My mark is not just on him. But my life is actually now in him. See, this was the thing. God had a problem 
It says the Old Testament was perfect in Hebrews. It said the Old Testament was perfect. It was. God came up with it. It was perfect. The Old Testament was perfect except for the fact that at the end of the day, God still found fault with man. Because here's the problem with the covenant. If he breaks his side of the deal, it's gone. If I break my side of the deal, it's gone. So that's why they had to renew their covenant all the time. They had to bring an animal and re-sacrifice an animal all the time. Because man couldn't keep their side of the deal. They couldn't do it. So, so this is what God said. God said, I'm going to solve that problem. I'm not going to make a covenant with man anymore. What I'm going to do is I'm going to send my son. I'm going to put the spirit of my son in them. And then I'm going to make a covenant with myself. Since he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. And so now your covenant with God is as secure as the spirit within you. Because he gets the justice and you get the mercy. Your job is to continually respond, continually have faith, continually move into the life that's provided to you in Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, let's pray together. Give this man a hand. That's okay, I'll get it later. It's an expensive build. I won't let him walk. Okay. (laughs) Let's pray together. Lord, you're just wonderful. You're just so wonderful. God, I pray that you would begin to settle over us now. Just settle over us, your presence.